0: I get up, I get down, and I'm jumping around. And the rumpus and rock, it's a comfortable night. Been a hell of a ride, but I'm thinking it's time to grow. So I got an...
1: Good Sunday afternoon. You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. Thanks for tuning in to the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. Today is Sunday, February 27th. 2022 I've been in a spring cleaning mood today you know how sometimes you just you get to cleaning and then you just can't stop you just go and you go and you go that's been me today what a crazy week it's been so far and I know you didn't come here to listen to me talk about cleaning things I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and tons and tons of opinions so I come here about once every couple of weeks or months to get them off my chest You don't have to agree with me. Chances are you probably won't on some of it, but that's okay. We can still be friends because in a world who's aimed to divide us, I think it's possible to stay together. The only thing we need to know how to do is to disagree without being disagreeable. Everything else is just a difference of opinions. So let's quit talking about what we're here to do and start talking about opinions Sit back, relax, and let me have the key to the opinion vault for about the next 30 to 45 minutes.
0: Here we go. Put your best face on Everybody pretend you know this song Everybody come hang Let's
1: go out with a bang What's up, everybody? Who's ready to talk about COVID? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, kind of. I know that people think that I go on and on about COVID. And I know that I say this every single time I talk about it. But I feel like it needs a disclaimer so that people who haven't listened to every episode don't think, man, all this guy does is talk about COVID. So the reason I talk about COVID a lot is because it's given me a a perspective on behavior. No other time in history that I can recall, at least in my life, have we had some event that causes people to feel and act a certain way. And so because of that, I've had a front row seat in observing the way people act what makes them act a certain way, how people think, what they say, how they feel, how they say they feel. And for me, that's really interesting. Now, I do bash on a lot of things COVID-related, but in all honesty, it's more fascinating than infuriating. Except when people tell me what to do, that's infuriating. How people behave on their own accord, I really couldn't care much less, as long as they're not affecting me or other innocent people. But what I want to talk about today is why we call it a vaccine and not a prophylactic. And I don't know the answer to that. I think it's because we had expectations for what it would do. We thought that Moderna and Pfizer and all these companies that we used to hate. Six months before COVID, people were protesting Big Pharma. I don't know that they had a problem with Little Pharma. I never heard any accusations towards Little Pharma. But everyone's really mad towards Big Pharma. And then the COVID comes along. And then all of a sudden the worm turns and we're begging big pharma to save our lives. Keep us from getting the black plague and whatever we got to do. Just just give me the shot as many times as you need to just so I don't feel scared. So our sentiments changed and we thought that it was going to be a vaccine. We thought that we'd be able to take a shot. We wouldn't be able to catch it. We wouldn't spread it and it would be over with just like that. Well, did that happen? No. So then they kept calling it a vaccine and telling us, well, you still have to take it anyway, but it doesn't keep me from getting it. No, it doesn't keep me from getting it, and it doesn't keep me from giving it to other people. No, it doesn't keep me from getting it to other people, but it just, it makes it less severe if you get it, okay? So really, you're worried about me and my safety and my decisions and what I do for myself. So by that sentiment, you should also tell me how many cheeseburgers I can eat. And how much pizza I can eat, how much bourbon I can drink, how many cigars I can smoke. Because, right, you're just you're looking out for me and it doesn't really have any effect on anyone else. But you're just a racist, Nazi, arrogant, asshole, stupid, redneck. Okay, All right. Got it. My point is that at some point in time, we should switch from calling it a vaccine to calling it a prophylactic because And listen, I'm no medical expert, but from what I understand, a prophylactic is something that you take to keep you from getting sick or to lessen the symptoms of something in case you get it. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. You remember the horse paste? You remember all the ivermectin that the media said you were a stupid idiot for taking it because it doesn't work, even though there was no evidence that showed that it didn't hurt you. There was no evidence that showed that it worked. Other than many anecdotal experiences. So I'm going to start calling it the COVID prophylactic, maybe like co- COVID phylac- cophylactic or something, something clever like that. And then when they ask me, Sir, where's your mask? I'm going to say, Oh, don't worry. I've had my prophylactic. I think recently the CDC actually came out and said, We've reevaluated and now 70% of the country doesn't have to wear a mask anymore. <laughs> okay. Okay, bro, since you say so, the CDC. Freaking joke. Let's not forget the CDC gave syphilis to people in 1964, but only if you had black skin. That is systemic racism. So that's all I'm going to say about that. I know you guys are tired of hearing me COVID rant, but from now on, if you share the same sentiments as me and someone calls it a vaccine, perhaps you could politely ask them. Hey, I'm just curious. Why do we call it a vaccine when really it's a prophylactic? And if I'm wrong about it being a prophylactic, well, sorry. You, you can come on here. We can talk about it. I looked it up before this just to make sure I was right. And I was. So, yeah, I don't know. Bring it up to someone who keeps talking about the vaccine and how everyone should get it. I mean, are we not through with this yet? Are we done? What's funny? The other day I heard, um, oh, gosh. who? Oh, <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, oh, don't get me started on him. He did an interview with Lex Friedman, who I really, really like. But I listened to the whole two hour interview and one of Zuckerberg's comments because Lex went at him pretty hard asking him about censoring covid. And of course, he had his scripted lawyer response, you know, and he he did pretty good for answering it and whatever. But one thing he said was, you know, when this all started, we didn't think it was going to be around for two years I'm thinking, hello, McFly, what are you talking about? There was a group of us, the second this thing started, who said, it's not going away. It'll be here forever. But these people just ignore that. They forget that all of us conspiracy people were screaming that from the very first minute. We also said, a vaccine's not going to do anything. You know, there's not enough time. It's not, you don't, you can't figure it out in time. It won't work. Yes, it will. You're just a Nazi, racist, old person, hater, conspiracy theorist. Here we are, two years later, with Mark Zuckerberg, the king of the metaverse. We know one No one thought this would be two years. I would slap him if I could. I wonder what if, if it would sound like when I slap Mark Zuckerberg if I just if I slapped him with like an open fist right on the cheek. I think it would sound like this, and I think he would probably collapse. I mean. I wouldn't do that. I'm not a violent guy, but sometimes I just want to slap a fool. Speaking of slappy fool, I'm going to read two tweets from Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, hailing from Houston, Texas. Okay, now uh, take note of this, okay? I'm going to read this and I'm going to try to sound exactly how Sheila Jackson Lee sounds when she reads. So don't get your panties in a wad. If you don't sound this way, I'm not making fun of you. If you do sound this way, perhaps you should try to learn to read better and not be a leader of people in the free world. Okay. Here's the tweet. Now this is about the Ahmad Arbery case, the guy in Georgia who was killed by the guys riding around in a truck. Now, I've, I've not taken a side on that case. I don't have enough evidence. I don't know enough. I saw four minutes of video. I don't know who's guilty. I'm not saying anyone should be innocent. I'm not saying anyone should be guilty. I'm simply reacting to her reaction. That's it. That's all I'm doing. And, and once again, remember, I disagree with the notion that we should have these things called hate crimes. If you don't understand why or you don't know why, go back and listen to some previous podcasts. I explain it in there. I'm not a Nazi. I don't think we should assign punishment based on whether or not we think someone was racially motivated. So that's why I'm against them. Okay, here's Sheila Jackson Lee's tweets, okay? I'm doing as close to a Sheila Jackson Lee impression as I possibly can. <clears throat> the hate crimes law, which I had a role in writing, is a senior member, all caps, of the House Judiciary Committee, was used effectively to prosecute men who express conspicuous racism, racist texts, and other racist communication. The conviction makes it clear that Ahmad Arbery would be alive today if he were not black. It is important that justice has prevailed. We must work every day as a nation to end the vileness of racism. Enough is enough. Okay, this is me again. Sheila Jackson Lee's done reading. So other than the fact that I don't really agree with the notion of racially motivated crimes being more punishable than non-racially motivated crimes, I want to pick this thing apart. Specifically, or I guess as Sheila says, specifically. And yes, she does say that. Her second one, where she said it's important that justice. Wait, no, sorry, 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 sorry. We doing this live, folks. Uh, the first one, uh, where she said I had the a role in writing the senior member House of Judiciary Committee the uh, the law to prosecute men who express conspicuous racism, racist texts, and other racist communication. Hey, news flash, uh, she jacked the Queen of crown weaves. Uh, it's not illegal to be racist. It's not illegal to hate white people. It's not illegal to hate black people. It's not illegal. It is perfectly legal. It's your actions that are illegal. So, so now we're, we're moving towards, we're moving towards giving people the power to say what's acceptable and what's not acceptable in terms of tweets, texts, and other racist communication. and What's funny to me is that people like her that just get outraged at all these trials, you know, when things go their way, the justice system worked like it's supposed to work, and it punished those who are punishable. But when the black person gets found guilty or the white police officer gets found not guilty, then their system is rigged, and there's racial injustice, and what is the word they all call Systemic racism. It's just so funny to me that they they don't have the wherewithal or the omnipresence to look down and say, well, that trial was fair, and here's why. That trial was unfair, and here's why. All they can do is just push, push, push their motive narrative until it falls on deaf ears and people side with them. And it blows my mind that we can't spot this. It blows my mind that we just accept this, this double talk. And I got some more double talk coming from old... Uh, from your your vice president lady. So if we let this happen, if we continue just letting people, you know, say that you can't do this because it's racist, then what's next? What's next? I don't know. I I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there that misunderstand me and what I say and my reasoning for thinking this, but I don't know if I can be any more clear. I'm not a proud boy. Although I kind of, I, I don't kind of, I respect Gavin McInnes. That's another story. look, let people tweet whatever they want to tweet. Let them say what they want to say. If we limit the free speech, if we make it where people don't want to say how they feel, then we won't know. We won't know if they're racist. We won't know if they think it's okay to pick someone for something based on their skin color. Allow them to do it and take note. I don't know. I just try to be fair. I, try, I really do. I don't try to look at things from, a, from an angry perspective of how, how one group gets away with something and the other one doesn't. I try to look at everything as objectively as I possibly can. And I realize there's bias in there. I try to overcome it. but Maybe I can't always do that. I don't know. But I really, really try. Speaking of try, why do hospitals got to be so inefficient? Why is it that if you go there, you have to wait five hours in the emergency room? And because we're short-handed and um, COVID, they're all heroes. And uh... No. Hospitals are inefficient because they're highly, highly regulated. Imagine, why, why do you think that all these little dock-in-the-box places are popping up? All these little private, you know, emergency care facilities? Because people have the money and they're willing to pay to not go sit in a hospital for five hours and then end up in a room of 40 people that's only divided by curtains— to wait to see the doctor the next day and then stay around for two more days for tests. I mean, everyone knows how it goes. I don't understand. You know, People want to blame the government not being involved for the inefficiencies of our hospital system. Those same people have never been to Europe. If they have, they haven't paid taxes there. I think that a better plan would be instead of the government allocating money to a governmentized healthcare system, If they just took the money that they would pump into the system and give it to the individual and say, you can only use this for healthcare, and then let hospitals run, let doctors run their own systems, their own practice, the money would just go farther. I was reading some charts the other day that showed over time, as the government grows larger and larger, it consumes an, an unrelevant or an irrelevant portion of the GDP. So if the government grows 1% in a year, it sucks up 1.5% or 2%. Now, this I don't remember the numbers, but this is just an example. If the government were to grow 1% for the year, it would suck up 1.5% to 2% of the GDP. That means it's money that's just wasted because how inefficient the government is. Listen, I've been saying this, and I always will. Giving the government more power to make more decisions is the wrong thing to do. If you look back to when this country started shooting off to the moon, it's because we had no government intervention and it was every man for himself. Now, do I think we got to go back to the 1800s where there's absolutely no state-run healthcare? No. I'm okay with a little bit of money going towards it, but I'm not okay with people who don't understand efficiency and they don't understand how money moves to think that the government can fix our broken healthcare system. It cannot do it. It can't. Whenever you have... Scarce resources, which is everything, pretty much. So in this example, healthcare is a scarce resource. That means there's not an infinite amount. We only have so many resources available for healthcare. And when you have a scarce resource, allocating that resource is difficult. And I'm a firm believer that we should not put that resource allocation into the hands of other men. I don't think it's fair for, for one guy at the top say, you get some of this and you get some of that and you don't get this and you don't get that. Because they're not even involved in the equation. I don't think that there should be some governing body that picks who gets free things and who doesn't get free things. And if everyone could admit or understand that money is the most efficient way to allocate scarce resources, we could probably make some progress. Now, once again, I'm not saying that he who has the gold makes the rules or, you know, if you, if you don't have money, you get zero healthcare. But I'm fine with if you have the most money, you get the best health care. Because it's like that with cars. It's like that with houses. It's like that with airplane tickets. You know, he who has the most money doesn't ride Greyhound bus. He flies on a plane by himself where he's the only one there. That's a huge, huge difference. I mean, but look what the free market can do. It can give those guys the same iPhone. It can give them the same internet speeds. And if people really wanted to allocate their resources towards healthcare, they would do that. And then the healthcare system would become highly competitive and people would be entering the marketplace to try to satisfy this rush of demand. And I realized that it's too late to do this, but I don't think it's too late to start taking small steps to creating that system. The thing is, no one wants to give up free stuff. And in order to change something in this realm, somebody has got to give up free stuff. And you ever try to take free things away from somebody? Good luck. Speaking of free things and people, I got some more Kamala Babble for you. And man, she just keeps giving them to me. I'm getting like one to two of these mindless Babble speeches every two to three weeks. Which means if she makes it four years, we are going to have the best Kamala Babble mashup That you can possibly imagine. But I want to say what I think about this. Because I do think she is not smart. I think she's low IQ. I think she's probably kind of manipulative. And probably can be a a bit brutal when it comes to discussing things. Without calling her... Okay, she's a bitch. She's a bitch. She's intimidating. People don't like to work with her. They don't like to work for her. I've, I've read these accounts. They could be lies. Who knows? I've read nothing saying the opposite. And so I think she, people like this, they realize that they don't know things. They're smart enough to know that they have no idea what what they're being asked. And they're also smart enough to be able to come up with a bunch of words that sound big. And if they use a certain tone of voice, if you're talking to them a certain way, and they respond a certain way back to you, then you're not going to question them. You know, if you're, if you're firm with your answers and you act confident, then you can just say whatever you want to. And people don't, people don't care. They don't understand. And I think that in her mind, she thinks, huh, I'm the vice president, bitches. I can say whatever I want. And she probably strings together a bunch of words, expecting the listeners to not really understand it. But instead of thinking that she's too stupid to put together coherent sentences, they think that they're too dumb to understand it. And I don't mean that like in a condescending, derogatory way. I just think that a lot of people, when they see politicians and they hear them speak, they speak in a way that's difficult for the average person to understand. And, and it's because they don't, they don't speak like an average person. They speak like a freaking politician. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play this for you. Hang on one sec.
0: Kamala Harris says the potential for war is real. We are talking about the real possibility of war in Europe.
1: Just a note there. They cut it out. But before that sentence started, she goes, listen, guys. And then she goes, we're talking about the real possibility of war here in Europe. Listen, guys. Listen, you idiots. Listen, you stupid people. Okay, I'm going to keep going. But hold on real quick. I want you to listen to how she strings words together. And she puts them one after another. And they're always in front of each other or behind each other because they are words and they do have meaning. And we have to put them in order. She just goes on and on about nothing. She says the same thing five times. Just listen.
0: As a leader, which we have been, bringing together the allies, working together around our collective and unified position.
1: Working together around our collective and unified position.
0: That we would all, not just prefer, we desire, we believe, it is in the best interest of all that there is a diplomatic end to this moment.
1: Remember this one? We've
0: been to the border. You haven't been to the border. And I haven't been to Europe. And I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making.
1: Remember when they put her in charge of the border? She was going to be in charge of the, the the border czar. She was gonna go down there and figure out what's going on. Oh no. She's done nothing. She's done nothing to slow down the illegal crossings. I mean, she's absolutely worthless. But do you see what I mean? How she just strings words together? Remember when she goes, We must together work together in order. I mean, it's just from what I've heard from insiders, they'll prepare all these briefings for her and she won't even read them. She won't even look at them. And it shows, it really shows. She's not educated on the topics. She doesn't understand the details. It's embarrassing. It is really, really embarrassing to me. Listen, I was not a fan of Mike Pence. I don't really care for the guy. I think he was fake. I think he was disingenuine. I think he was just another politician. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I don't care if he's conservative. But at least he understood the policy. He walked into a meeting with an agenda. He walked out of a meeting with a a summary and he explained how the meeting went because he understood what was going to take place. He knew his talking points. Kamala Harris doesn't. She doesn't know what's going on around her. Legitimately incoherent. I mean, maybe she's coherent. She is incoherent when it comes to the topic that she's supposed to be talking about. Here's another one.
0: We still sincerely... Hope that there is a diplomatic path out of this moment. And within the context then of the fact that that window is still opening, although, open, although it is absolutely narrowing, but within the context of a diplomatic path still being open, the deterrence effect we believe has merit.
1: Did that make any sense to you? Did that Did that make any sense? Because I'm going to read it. Maybe if I read it, it'll make some sense. Okay. Within the context, then, of the fact that window is still opening. Although open, although it is absolutely narrowing, but within the context of a diplomatic path still being open. All right, it's difficult for me to read this because it doesn't follow the normal sentence flow, right? When people speak off the cuff, sometimes it's, it's hard. But with, with her, it's extra hard because she doesn't know the next word that's going to come out of her mouth. So I'm going to try to read it a little bit more smoothly. Within the context, then, of the fact that the window is still opening, although open, although it is already narrowing, but within the context of a diplomatic path still being open. There you go. Does that make sense? This stupid person. She has absolutely no business being the vice president, as Bo Jiden would say. Let's not forget, she was kicked out of the primaries before they even started. So there's that. Be thankful that she's in charge. You know, just be thankful. The first black woman president, vice president, you know, of all the badass black women in this country, of all the women who've actually made a difference, of all the actual leaders, of all the people that, that have done things to earn the respect of little girls other than doing things with peop- people they shouldn't be doing them with, 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 you would think that we could put someone better. You would think we could put someone better than Bo Jiden, the guy who can barely even read off of his cards, the guy who can't get through a sentence or a paragraph without forgetting what he's supposed to say, the guy who trips when he goes down or upstairs. You would think we could come up with someone better. Oh, no. Oh, no. We pick him. The most popular president to ever win an election in the history of the United States. More votes than any president ever in the history of the United States. And if you believe that after one year of watching him, that's fine. But I don't. Okay, let's shift gears now. Let's talk about Russia and Ukraine. It's been a wild week. I'm sure everyone knows whom invaded whom. And it's getting weirder and weirder as this thing goes on. Now, I'm going to break down kind of all the bits and pieces that I've noticed so far. But first, I want to compare Russia and another country. And that other country is Canada. And you might think, oh, my gosh, Russia and Canada are so different. canadas they care about people. They're like, they're humanitarians. They would never invade another country. Okay, maybe they would never invade another country because they're all sissies. But other than that, I'm going to show you the similarities between them, specifically in what's happening in the world right now. So we all know the Canadian truckers' protest has been shut down. Old Flowey here, enacted martial law, gave the big powers the authority to run them out of there and arrest them and sell their trucks and continue to pursue them, to go after them. And why? Because he said they possessed unacceptable viewpoints. So we have a country, we have a leader, we have citizens. Citizens are protesting. They don't like what the government's doing. They don't want to be forced to choose between a vaccination and their job. They want to have the right to choose. They're not saying, screw you, we're not getting vaccinated. They're just saying, we want to be able to pick and choose. The government says, oh no, that's not acceptable. You're too stupid. You're too dumb to make your own decisions. That's an unacceptable viewpoint, and you can no longer disrupt us and our city which I agree that people shouldn't disrupt roadways. Don't mess with commerce. If there's a way around it, that's fine. But don't get in the roads and block commerce. I've said that many, many times. So instead of talking to them, instead of Trudeau going to them and saying, look, guys, let's break down exactly your issues. Let's talk through things. Let's negotiate. Let's make a big deal. In the meantime, we got to get you out of the roads. You guys can go protest over here. But you, nobody can disrupt commerce here in Canada, whether it's you, Black Lives Matter, the transgender kid people. Nobody's disrupting the flow of commerce. So I would be okay with that. So, no, he didn't do that. He just went and got the military to, to kick them all out. Wasn't even willing to talk to them, which is just preposterous. But nonetheless, put 1,400, I don't know the actual number. It's between fourteen and 1,700 people in jail. Confiscated all the trucks And is allegedly going to sell them And keep the money All right. Putin, the leader of Russia Decides he wants to invade Ukraine Decides he wants Ukraine to be part of Russia What did he do? He invaded He said, we're taking over this bitch. We own you What did a lot of Russians do? They went and protested They went and said, hey, you're taking us to war And we don't like it And what did Putin do? He rounded them all up, and he put them in freaking jail. 1,400 of them. So my point is, it's like I always say, tyranny starts with one little move, one little thing that, that, that you think you're doing the right thing. You see, in these guys' mind, they really think they're doing what's best for the country. Hitler did too. They think that, the, that their decisions will lead the country to great places, but they're not worried about the freedom of the individual. And so in order to accomplish this utopia that they have envisioned, they need to just go forward with their thoughts and their viewpoints. And you dumb people, just just come along for the ride and let me sort it out for you. And this is why Trudeau and Russia Putin aren't too different. I think Trudeau's just 30, 40 years behind him. And see, these things don't happen overnight. These things don't just, you don't just wake up one morning and decide you're going to start taking control and that the people are too dumb to make their own decisions. They happen over time. You see people make decisions. You don't like it. You think it's dumb. They do it again. They reinforce your assessment over and over again until you're like, screw it. You know what? I'm just going to make the decisions. These people can't do it for themselves. And I honestly think that that Trudeau, if had the activist been protecting the rights of transgender children, I don't think he would go at him. I don't think he would arrest him. I don't think he would put him in jail. I don't think he would try to shut it down. I think he would have gone back to them, and he would have said, look, guys, we can't have you protesting here. You're allowed to protest. Let's talk. Let's come to a conclusion, and we'll relocate your protest. And you guys can just protest your little hearts out, as long as you want to. But what it all boils down to is whether or not Trudeau agrees with their reason for protesting. So we have to step back and look at things. And we have to say, okay, let's look at Trudeau and let's look at Putin. Okay, Both of them were willing to stop people from sharing their opinions. Now, Putin was willing to take it a step farther and go invade a country. Trudeau's not quite there yet. So it is acceptable in his mind to stop people from sharing their opinions, but it's not quite acceptable to go blazing into a country and taking over. At least not yet. Another thing that people have kind of asked me about, or I've had, I don't know, I've had two people confront me and they say, you know, whenever the BLM protests were going on, you, you wanted to shut those down. You thought they were worthless and they weren't doing any good. and No good was going to come of them. But you're okay with the truckers protesting? And yes, I am. And here's why. Here's why I'm okay with the truckers protesting. And I wasn't okay with the BLM protests evolving into riots and lootings and buildings getting burned. Other than that, so let's just take that aside. Let's just say that the BLM protesters never got violent or whoever whoever that claims to not be part of BLM who recently got accused of stealing millions of dollars to buy homes, but let's just say they were protesting peacefully. The difference is the truckers had one point. They had one piece of policy that they wanted to negotiate. They wanted to talk about it. They wanted to say, we don't want to conform to this one piece of policy. All the BLM people, they were just mad. They were just mad at everything. They just didn't like it. They wanted everyone to know they didn't like it. They weren't being treated fairly. So they provided no solution, no alternative. They just said, we're, we're mad, and by God, we're going to burn shit. So that's why I couldn't get behind it. You're you're rallying for a huge change but you're not even—you can't even identify the first step. Well, cops shouldn't just shoot unarmed black people. They don't really. They shoot like nine or ten a year, out of 300 million interactions. So where do we want that number to be? Zero? If it was zero, then would you protest? So we maybe we could just make a law that says under no circumstances are cops allowed to shoot black people, because that way we can assure that no unarmed black people get shot. Or maybe we can just say cops don't even shoot people. We'll just take guns away from cops. Would that be good? Ugh, These people don't think. They just scream. Okay, moving along. I'm going to talk about the situation with Russia and Ukraine and kind of give my my perception of it. And as of about last night, things changed a little bit for me. So I'm going to go through it. First of all, a lot of people don't realize the situation between the U.S. and Russia and lots of other countries with Russia. You see, Russia provides 23% of the world's grain. We also buy approximately 700,000 barrels of oil from Russia per day. The U.S. is Russia's fifth customer, fifth biggest customer. So we we supply Russia with a lot of money. We buy things, we trade with them even though we're not best buddies with them, they're kind of like that dude down the street that you don't really like, but he always sells you stuff at a good price when he buys it and doesn't use it, and you don't you don't really care to hang around him or be around him or support him. But you know what, dude? He always has a good deal on something that you will buy. It's kind of like that. He's got an old gun or something. He's just always looking to get rid of. And so it's kind of like that with us in Russia. We need their oil. They need our money. Now. The reason why we need the oil is because Bo Jiden said, well, we're going to stop uh, oil production in the U.S. This is dirty, hard on the environment. And, and oh, yeah, also, uh, we're going to do it so that we shut down the oil companies and, and give subsidies to the electric vehicle companies. And, and then I'll make some money because my son will be on the board somewhere on some, some, some something. You know. And so because Biden has shut down the oil industry. And, and this really is because the, the government gives subsidies to the green energy. So investment dollars go there, leaves the oil guys high and dry with no oil. So what happens now? We get a bite from our enemies. Okay, hey, Russia, will you make us a good deal on some oil? Uh, we will see. We will sell you 700,000 barrels per day, and we will see what that does. So now we're relying on Russia to buy oil. When about five years ago, we were an energy exporter. That means we had enough energy Production. We produced enough oil and natural gas here that we even sold some. It makes total sense to me that we should be energy independent, but we can't because we impose regulations which drive the cost up too high. So it's cheaper to buy them from Russia. And so, since you can't, if you have a trade partner, see that when he, people hear these things, trade deals, what is a trade deal? A trade deal is basically like saying, hey, we make wheat. You make cotton, okay? You don't tax our wheat coming in, and we won't tax your cotton coming in. It's a deal. We make a deal to, to help each other out on trade. And so over time, that deal, we've become reliant on it. Without that deal, the price of whatever we're importing would be higher. So since we struck a deal with Russia, and we say, look, and I don't know the specifics of any deals per se, but I know how they work. So we made a deal to buy oil from Russia. That means we rely on their oil and they rely on our money. You see, the people who are on the other end of the deal, after X amount of time, the oil that that we buy now becomes part of their total output, total production. And so their market falls into line to satisfy our demand, which means if we cut off our demand, then they wouldn't have any money coming in, which sounds like a great plan, right? Let's just cut them off. They don't get our money and they can go to hell. The problem with that is that now we don't have the oil that we needed, and so what that and you might say, well, we'll just buy it from somebody else. It doesn't work that way. The market is completely satisfied. Everyone, the the supply and the demand are pretty close to being balanced out for all, for this conversation. And so, if now if we had to go buy our oil from Saudi Arabia that that we were buying from oil from Russia, now we have to replace that with Saudi Arabian oil. Well, now the Saudi Arabian oil companies have to raise their output 700,000 barrels per day. Can't do it overnight. Cost tons of money. In the meantime, the world's oil supply would now be less because Russia isn't selling their oil. They can't sell it to someone else because they don't have the demand for it. So it's very, very complicated. This whole, like, just cut them off, it's not so simple. This whole, like, oh, well, just take them off the SWIFT system. And if you don't know, the SWIFT system is the way that the banks move money around from one bank to the next. It's a a secure system. Don't get me started on it because it's antiquated. I think they developed it in like the 60s. We're still using it. We should be using cryptocurrency, digital currency, but that's another topic. So if we were to remove them and said, you guys don't have access to the SWIFT system anymore, they'd probably say, okay, good. We will use Bitcoin. No, I'm just kidding. They would probably say, Well, okay, but now all you people that do business with Russia, you can't do business with Russia. So there's think about companies that are over there that are doing business that are American companies or they're buying inputs from Russia or they're selling their products in Russia and they need to move money around. So when you do that, when you cut off Russia, you're also hurting yourself. So we have to decide, okay? at some point, if things got bad enough, we would be willing to take the hit would be willing to take it on the chin and say, well, we're just going to have to deal with high oil prices. I don't think we're there yet because only like, and I know it's it's still a number, but 200 Ukrainians have died. So in in just like when you're evaluating the COVID regulations, it sucks to value things in terms of human life, but we have to be honest and we have to recognize this is what we're up against. Are we willing to put our entire economy in a bind over 200 Ukrainian lives. That's a hard question, but that's the types of things that they're faced with. And so it's not so simple as to just say, "We got to go in and do something." Well, if you were a mother of a of a soldier, of an American soldier, would you want to see him go over there and risk his life so that the Ukrainians make it through this deal? Or is it not quite bad enough yet? You see, It's got to get bad enough. Another thing that we contend with is that if we don't step in, people say, why aren't the Americans helping? And if we do step in, they say, why are the Americans acting like the freaking world police? (laughs) You know, it's a no-win situation. And so all these issues that we face with Russia, everyone else is facing with Russia as well. There's no simple answer. There's no simple solution. And I don't think that 30-day sanctions are good. I, I'm about to roll into my next segment, which talks, <laughs> talking about how my perception of this whole thing is kind of changing. And I'm not really at a conclusion yet. But I'm I'm taking notes. I'm in the, what I call the information gathering phase. And I'm just absorbing things. I'm not one of those people who instantly takes sides and, and jumps on a side if I don't have enough information to what I think is an informed decision. So I'm still, I'm still gathering information. But the situation is starting to seem weird to me. I saw a video the other day of a, of a guy driving down the road, and he approached a Russian tank that was broken down on the side of the road. So he stops and he asks him, you know, what's the deal, your tank's broke down? Oh no, we're just out of gas. Oh, do you know where you're going? No, we don't really know where we're going. And then the Russian guy goes, what's the news saying? And the Ukrainian guy goes, oh, it's pretty much saying that we're kicking your ass and that you guys don't have a chance. And then the guy, the Russian guy said something to him and he drove off. And I thought that was kind of funny. But then I thought, man, if they were at war, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that way. And this goes back to what I I think I said on here a week or two ago is that they, they look at each other like they're next door neighbors, like the Americans would look at Canadians they don't look at each other like the Indians and the Pakistanis or the Israelis and the Jordanians. They, they're not mortal enemies. And so that's one thing that's weird. You know, another lady walked up to some soldiers and, and she said something about, I hope you have sunflower seeds in your pocket. And he was like, why? She was like, so whenever you die, flowers will grow. And so, I don't know. I just feel like if they were, if they were trying to take over a country, they'd be raping and pillaging and killing people. But what is up with this half this half deal? like they're they're halfway invading? I feel like it's kind of like they're not really serious about invading. because if my if I was a leader, if I was a tyrant like Trudeau or Putin, and my goal is to take over a country and to overthrow them, I would come in hard with a vengeance. I would want to be in and out of there. And so I don't know. I'm not sure what's happening. I mean, how long before this all happened? Did we know? They're going going to invade. They're going to invade over there. They're they're going to move in. They're going to invade. They're going to rush it. they got 190,000 people by the board. They're going to invade. What are you going to do, Biden? We're not going to do anything. But they're going to invade. Oh, Biden. Well, they invaded. Yeah, no shit they invaded. They've been saying they were for three months. Why didn't you do anything to prevent it? Well, it goes back to what I was originally saying. Like, it's it's a tricky situation. But now they're imposing all these sanctions that... If their true motivations were to stop the invasion or to prevent it, the sanctions would have happened long before it. So it's weird to me that not many people have died, that that the Ukraine has got no air force. There's no, you haven't heard of, like they could just send planes to the Russian border and the Belarus border where all of these Russian troops are camped out and blow them up. Just destroy them all. They're all gathered together. We announced it was going to happen, we watched it happen, we didn't do anything to stop it. We're not no one's fighting back. The Ukrainians are not going back. They're just playing defense. So, I don't know. I, I kind of think one of two things is happening and I'm not I'm not going to die on this hill. I could be I could come on here next week and say that hey, I was completely wrong. But I think one of two things is happening. Number 1, Putin knows that nobody is in a position to interfere. Everyone's economy is in a bind because of how they reacted to COVID. Everyone needs Russia right now. All the markets are on pins and needles. He understands that no one's really in a position to fight a war. Okay, so that's, that's one thing. And he wants to complete the task without someone unleashing the fury on him. So maybe he's just trying to say, I'm going to get this done. As quick and as easy as possible without pissing anyone off. I don't want them to just light me up with nukes. I don't I don't really want to go to war, but I want to take over Ukraine. So I'm gonna do this with the least amount of force possible. That that's number one. Or number two, and this is the you're just a right-wing conspiracy terrorist bang. And that's that we all made a deal with Russia just to sit by and watch. And I know that stings. I know nobody wants to hear it or admit it, but could it be that Putin went to Biden and said, look, you need me, I need you, we don't want turmoil, but Ukraine is part of Russia and I want to take it back and I don't want you to do anything, I'm not going to kill a bunch of people, I'm not going to kill a bunch of civilians if some might get killed, but we're going to do it with as little amount of harm as possible. And who knows? We're going to see how this thing shakes out. It's pretty early for me to say that. I don't know. I could be wrong. I just think about it from a human standpoint. And if Putin went to Biden and said, look, he wouldn't go to Biden. He would have gone to one of his helpers. But he said, look, we're going to do this whether you like it or not. You keep buying your oil from us. You guys can do your little protests. You can, you can post on your Instagram the little Ukraine flag, which don't get me going on that. I think it's great to pray for Ukraine. But when everyone posts it, all of a sudden, everyone's praying for Ukraine, pray, 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 pray. Really what they're doing is saying, oh my gosh, look at these missiles. Look at these bombs. Look at this kid. Look at these people. It's their way of, of expelling this nasty media while saying, but we have to pray for them, but look how bad it is. See right through it. And you should too. But don't discount the fact that it could be it could be an agreement. It could be an under-the-table handshake where Biden's people and all the rest of NATO are like, look, dude, just let him do it. He's going to take them. If we give resistance, it's going to get bloody. No one's economy is in the state to be doing this right now. So that's just my opinion. You don't have to agree. We can, we can disagree about that. and Still be friends. And with that, I'm going to go. I've been y- yapping for 49 minutes and 17 seconds. I'm going to go. I'm going to start making a gumbo. I've been craving gumbo lately. And it's been cold. So I have all the things I need to make it in my little electric skillet because I've got a stove that's been broken for eight months. Yeah, I'll save that story for another day. But I'm going to go make some gumbo. I'm going to do some editing. I'm going to play with the dogs. And it's a beautiful day. So I'm going to absorb the rest of it. I appreciate you guys tuning in to the Life in Paradise podcast where I talk about politics mainly and some other little life-related details. I plan on being back about the same time-ish next week. So tune in for that. I'd like everyone to go out there, share your opinions, do some research, read about Russia, read about Ukraine, stop posting stupid Instagram pictures with a heart and the Ukrainian flag, okay? We all feel bad for them. You don't need a virtue signal. And most of all, keep it Trinky low. <laughs>